Hey, greetings, everyone. It's so great to welcome you once again to our online campus. Thank you for joining us from wherever it is you might be today. I'm just thrilled to be able to share some time together with you. If you have a Bible, I want you to grab it and go ahead and turn with me once again, and for the final time, to Psalm 118, and we're going to conclude our series called Peace in His Presence this weekend. While you're turning there to Psalm 118, I want to take just a minute and share with you about what's going to be coming up with regard to our preaching in the next few weeks. Uh, I've told you in the past that I have been purposely putting together brief series. They've mostly been three-week series uh, because I'm trying to provide as many different on-ramps as possible for people who are rejoining us uh, in in-person worship. I didn't want someone to feel like they couldn't come in the middle of a series, a long series, so we've been doing brief series. But after this weekend, uh, for the next five weeks, I'm going to preach just uh, five standalone messages. We're going to call this series Summer Mixtape, but uh, it's not going to be a series like we normally do where we're focused on one passage of scripture or one biblical character or one specific subject. And so I hope you'll uh, look forward to that. I'm looking forward to it, I know, as I think about what those different messages will look like. But uh, this weekend, as I said, we're going to conclude our Peace in His Presence series, and our text is Psalm 118, uh, verses 24 through the very first part of verse 27, what we might call verse 27a. I know you got your Bibles open there. I want you to have that in front of you, but I'm going to put the verses up on the screen so that we can all just uh, read them together uh, so even though it might seem a little odd where you are, I, I want you to go ahead and just read this brief passage of Scripture with me. I know the verses are going to be there on the screen. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. We'll stop right there. We always ask God to add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Um, what I'm going to do as we begin, or excuse me, as we conclude this Peace in His Presence series is I'm going to conclude the same way that I began by simply saying life is hard. But I want to expand that statement as we come to the end of this study. And I want to say life is hard, but it is also good. And the reason why we can say life is good is because God is good. And he shares his goodness with us in so many different ways. When I think about my family, when I think about my friendships, the friendships I have in my life, when I think about the churches I have served, when I think about the many different experiences that the Lord has allowed me to have in my life, and on and on and on, I can only come to one conclusion, and that's this overwhelming truth that God is good. I hope you feel the same way. And honestly, no amount of trouble or no amount of difficulty or hardship is ever going to change that. God is good. Wherever you are, you should say amen to that. God is good. One of the things I love the most about Psalm 118 is that it begins and ends with the very same words. The words of Psalm 118 and verse 1 are exactly the same in Psalm 118 and verse 29. They bookend everything that we learn. The words are, give thanks to the Lord, and here it is, for he is good. His love endures 
forever. I love the simple and immutable truth that God is good. God is good when I'm not good. God is good when my life is not good. God is good when my ministry is not God. Uh, excuse me, when my ministry is not good. God is good when my circumstances or my health or my finances or whatever you want to say is not good. God is always good. I think I've shared before in our weekend services how much I love the song Goodness of God by Bethel Music. In fact, honestly, it's become one of my all-time favorites. Maybe it may even be my favorite song that I have ever sung in church. One of the writers of that song is a woman named Jen Johnson. She shared in an interview that the song had been inspired by the process of adopting her fourth child. She said she was singing impromptu lyrics and words about the faithfulness and the kindness, the goodness of God into her phone one day when she was driving down a long country road. And ultimately, the song was developed from that impromptu recording. I love every part of the song, but if someone pressed me and asked me which part of the song I love the best, it would be when you get to the chorus and you sing the lyric, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. I love that idea or that picture of the goodness of God running after me, running after us. Several years ago, and maybe some of you will even remember this, I think it's been about 10 years ago, I preached a message series on the 23rd Psalm. I called the series Shepherd Speak. Shepherd Speak, if you're not familiar with the 23rd Psalm, it begins with the words, the Lord is my shepherd. And I really focused specifically on trying to understand that psalm from the perspective of a literal shepherd. David wrote the psalm, and David spent the early years of his life literally as a shepherd watching over his father's sheep day after day after day. There are six verses in the psalm, so I just talked about each verse separately for six different weeks. The last verse that we studied, and I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but we studied it in the King James Version of the Bible because even though I love the New International Version, I memorized the 23rd Psalm in the King James Version when I was just a little boy. And the last verse, Psalm 23 and verse 6, in the King James Version reads like this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But it's the first part of that verse that really captured my attention. Uh, this idea of the goodness and the mercy of God following me, following us all the days of our life. And so I honestly literally just went back into my files and I brought out the manuscript for that message and I wanted to share with you what I had written about that. Uh, and I'm just going to read it from my manuscript or say it to you, share it with you the way it was written in my manuscript. I wrote, okay, I want us to think about this from a couple of different perspectives. But before we do that, let's get a picture of this in our mind from the perspective of the sheep and the shepherd. Sheep that have a faithful and skilled shepherd live with a strong sense of certainty. David, who knew that firsthand, further develops the reality of that saying, or excuse me, the reality of that certainty by saying that when God is our shepherd, we can know that no matter what happens, no matter what comes, his goodness and his mercy will be present in our lives. So as we think about this from the perspective of the sheep and the shepherd analogy, here's the picture I want you to get in your mind. I want you to see a shepherd 
out in front guiding the sheep, not driving the sheep from behind, but out in front leading the sheep, guiding the sheep. And then I want you to get the picture of two faithful sheep dogs. They can look like whatever you want them to look like. I want you to get the picture of two faithful sheep dogs that are following behind the flock, guarding and protecting the sheep. Those two sheep dogs are our pictures of goodness and mercy. David wrote, remember, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of our lives. Now, I told you I want I wanted to think about this from a couple of different perspectives. Here's the first one, which is basically the biblical perspective, or in other words, how are we to understand this from uh, the perspective of the Bible? What does it mean to have goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives? Well, goodness simply means good things. The word in the Hebrew literally means loving kindness. And so David is saying that the blessing of God's loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life. But it's not just the blessing of goodness or good things that follows us. David also says that God's mercy follows us as well. What does that mean? Well, it's really important that we understand this. It's important because sometimes, just like sheep, we can take our eyes off of the shepherd and wander off the path. And it's in those moments we need mercy because mercy brings forgiveness. And so, if we put that together, we see that when David says that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, he's saying that God's choice, God's choice to act kindly toward people who don't deserve it is going to follow us all the days of our lives. Let me say that again. God's choice to act kindly toward people who don't deserve it is going to follow us all the days of our lives. And by the way, who is it that doesn't deserve the kindness of God? I hope everywhere you are, you are collectively saying, me. But Having given that explanation, here is, at least to me, the coolest part of this idea or this reality that the goodness and mercy of God is following us all the days of our lives. The specific word that David uses for follow in the Hebrew language is the Hebrew word radof. Now, it is just one of many, many different Hebrew words that can be translated follow. But what makes this word so significant as we encounter it in the context <clears throat> of Psalm 23 and verse 6 is that the word radof describes a very descriptive, very active kind of following. In fact, the Hebrew lexicon defines it with words like pursue or chase or run after. So it wouldn't be wrong to read this part of the verse like this. Surely, goodness and mercy shall pursue me or chase me or run after me all the days of my life. And this makes that idea or picture of sheepdogs following the flock for guidance and protection even more real. This is the kind of God we have. He chases us and runs after us with his goodness and his mercy all the days of our lives. And this is something, friends, that we can count on because remember how verse 6 began? Surely. David wrote, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, run after me all the days of my life. Now, I, I preached that sermon series, Shepherd Speak, I 
10 years ago. It was in 2011. The song Goodness of God came out in 2019. And one of the things that resonated with me right from the beginning, the very first time I heard it, the very first time we sang it, is that lyric, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. This is what God does because God is good. Life is hard, but it's also good. Why? Because God is good. And because God is good, we can find peace in his presence no matter what's happening around us. Now, having said that, I need to just go back and do a really quick review of what we have seen in the first couple of weeks of this series, because what we have seen is that there are certain things that we need to do, we need to enact in our lives to make sure that we experience the peace that comes from the presence of God. The first thing is we have to choose God. That's what we talked about on week one. We have to choose God. We looked at Psalm 118 and verse five, where the psalmist says, in my anguish, I cried to the Lord and he answered me by setting me free. If you're a person of faith, you have to make the conscious choice to choose God, and you have to make that choice every single day of your life, no matter what's happening around you. And the reason why we can choose God is because of the words of Psalm 118 and verse 7, where the psalmist goes on to say, the Lord is with me, he will help me. We choose God because God is for us, and God will help us. Now, the second thing we talked about, and we talked about this last week, the second thing we have to do is we have to honor God. Number one, you have to choose God. Number two, you have to honor God. Now, we honor God because we know that God has the ability to take the difficulties of our lives, even our greatest failures and our greatest defeats, and turn them around and use them as a foundation for something new and something good. We discovered that when we looked at these words from Psalm 118, their words, the words of verses 22 and 23 where the psalmist says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And we talked about how that phrase is so familiar, the stone the builders rejected. And it's familiar because we encounter it multiple times in the New Testament to talk about Jesus, who was the ultimate stone the builders rejected, who ultimately became the capstone or the cornerstone or the foundation of something new and something good. I say that because when you know the story of Jesus, you know that he was rejected by the religious leaders. He was condemned to die by the political leaders. He was crucified between two common criminals. His lifeless body was laid in a tomb, but he didn't remain there in the tomb. Through the power of God, he rose from the dead, and his resurrection ultimately filled his followers with so much courage and so much conviction that they started a movement of faith that continues to change the world today. It's changed my life and your life as well. And so Jesus was the stone. He literally was the stone the builders rejected who became the capstone, the foundation of something new. And what I told you last week related to this is we need to understand that what God did for Jesus, he will do for us. What God did for Jesus, he will do for you. And he'll take the difficulties of your life. He'll even take the greatest failure of your life or the greatest defeat of your life and turn it around, turn it around and build something new on that that's special and something unbelievable that can have a tremendous amount of impact, not just on your life, but on the lives of those that are around you. This is what God does. He's the God who turns things around. This is how he works. And so our response to that is to honor God, to honor that reality about God and how he works. And we honor God by living lives of prayer because when we pray and share our lives with God, we're acknowledging proactively honoring proactively this truth that God can take anything and turn it around. We honor God by living lives of gratitude. <clears throat> We're thankful and grateful all the time for the way God works in our lives. 
And we honor God by living righteous lives, through righteousness, by doing what's right, and making sure we're always in a position to see God at work in our lives. Now, as we conclude this Peace in His Presence series, there's one more thing we need to do, one more step we need to take. Number one, we choose God. Number two, we honor God. Here's the third thing I want to talk to you about for the rest of our time. We trust God. That's number three. Number one, choose God. Number two, honor God. Number three, trust God. And here's why we trust God. We trust God no matter what's happening around us because we know that God is always in control. He's always in control. See, one of the realities of living in a world where life is hard is it can sometimes be, or at least appear to us, to be spinning out of control. But the Bible teaches us over and over again, both by what we might call precept and by example, that God is always in control. What would be an example of that in precept? And when I say precept, I mean by the written word of the Bible. Well, how about these words from Psalm 115 and verse 3? The psalmist says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Why? Because God is in control. How about Proverbs 16:33? The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Casting lots was a common way in ancient ways to try to discern the will of God. And this verse reminds us or verifies to us that no matter what we might do, it's God. He's the one who controls what happens in our lives and in the world around us. Now, those are a couple of verses from the Old Testament. How about an example of this truth that God is in control by precept in the New Testament? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, for by him all things were created, there's his control, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Listen, friends, God is in control. What would be a good example of that truth that God is in control uh, that we find in the pages of the Bible. A good example, I mean an, an incident, something that literally happened. Well, just think of the many stories that you find in the Bible, and particularly, in particular in the Old Testament, where it looked like one thing was going to happen only for God to intervene and change the outcome. I think about when Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they were on their way to the Promised Land. They got face to face with the Red Sea, and they looked behind them and realized that Pharaoh's army was pursuing them because Pharaoh had changed his mind. He wanted to bring the Israelites back to Egypt to be his slaves. And it looked like there was no hope for the Israelites. They had a sea in front of them and an army behind them. But then our sovereign God, who is always in control, steps in, parts the sea, allows the Israelites to walk across the sea on dry land. And then when the armies of Pharaoh try to pursue them, he closes the sea in on them and destroys them. And and we see the safety of his people. How about when Jesus was crucified on Friday, making it appear to his disciples and his followers that all hope was lost, only to have God intervene according to his power and will and raise Jesus from the dead? We just talked about that a little bit a moment ago. See, we trust God because he's always in control. We trust God because he's always in control. And that truth is also identified in our text, the very first part of Psalm 118 and verse 24, which is the first verse of this week's text, literally says, this is the day the Lord 
has made. He's always in control. This is the day the Lord has made. He's the one that creates each and every day because he is in control. So we need to remember, in spite of how things may sometimes appear, that God is always in control. And if you want to find peace in his presence, you need to understand and embrace that truth once and for all. Now, I want, I want to pause here and I want to say something, uh, so listen close. Uh, that doesn't mean that we won't have moments in our lives or times in our lives where we wonder where God is or if he really cares about what's happening in our life. That doesn't mean you won't have moments when you think that God, excuse me, that God has abandoned you or, or um, he's decided to let evil win. Just because we believe and embrace the truth that God is in control doesn't mean we won't have those kinds of moments in our lives. But I, I want to tell you from my own perspective today that I think that's okay, that we, when we, that we have moments like that when we wonder if God is really in control. I think that's okay. That might sound weird, but I think that's okay. And the reason why is because those kinds of feelings will often lead to some gut-wrenchingly honest times of prayer that have the ability to bring us back and reinforce, bring us back to and reinforce what we believe about our ability to trust God because he's in control. And, and that's not just conjecture from me. You see that reality in the Psalms, especially Psalms written by David. In fact, make yourself a, a note and go back and read Psalm 42 sometime today. You read that Psalm and you see David going back and forth between things like, oh God, why have you forgotten me? To why are you downcast? Oh my soul, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him. David seems to be manic in his faith in that Psalm. He goes from from distress and depression and despair to, to great faith and great trust. And see, that's, that's what happens oftentimes when we have those moments when we have doubts about the presence of God or the, or the control of God uh, or the involvement of God in our lives, and we express those. God has a way of using those to bring us back to where we need to be. I know that I've certainly seen that happen in my own lives. I've had, in my own life, rather, I've only had one life. I've seen that happen in my own life. I have had times of, of deep a sorrowful prayer where I have gone from where are you God to I love and trust you God. That's what happens. And so um, that's one of the ways we work out our faith. So uh, just because you you believe and embrace this truth that, that God is in control and you can trust him because of that doesn't mean that you won't have these moments when uh, your faith will be um, a little shaky and you need to, to work out that truth as you take that shaky faith to God. But at the end of the day, we just are reminded, we remember that no matter how difficult life might be, we stand, stand on this foundation that God is good because God is in control. And so, having said all of that, I want to bring this all to a close by just giving you three really practical things uh, from Psalm 118, three really practical things you can do to develop a faith that reminds you or that is built on this truth that God is good because God is always in control. I want to give you three practical things to help you develop a God is good because God is always in control mindset. And so here's the first. And if you like to take notes, then write down somewhere this simple truth. You need to treat each day as a gift from God. Treat each day as a gift from God. I'm going to go back to our text and the very first part of our text, Psalm 118 and verse 24. The psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, if you're a person of faith, you should begin every day of your life with some kind of a prayer that reflects this truth 
that this is the day the Lord has made. I can tell you, and I can say this with integrity today, I start every morning with a prayer that says, thank you, God, for another day of life. And I will often begin every subsequent prayer that I offer up throughout the same day in the same way. Thank you, God, for another day of life. And often I will, I will add, please help me to never take that for granted. We need to acknowledge that every single day is a gift from God, but it's even more than that. Because the psalmist goes on to say, let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's just use today as an example. You know what? Today is not an accident for you, and it's not an accident for me. God made this day, and God has allowed us to be alive on this day. And as we go through this day, whatever this day looks like, whatever we do, whatever we face, whatever we encounter, God is going to be with us the entire time. That means as we go through this day that God has created, that he has gifted to each and every one of us, we need to look for his presence and we need to allow his presence to shape what we think about, what we say, and what we do throughout the entire course of the day. The bottom line is we need to make the most of each day because every day is a gift from God. And when we do that, we're going to reinforce the truth that God is good and God is in control. You know, I got up this morning. I had a quiet time I made myself breakfast, I ate breakfast, I came to church, um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I walked for just a little bit around the church and a little bit of a prayer walk in anticipation of uh, recording this sermon. I went in my office, I, I went through my notes uh, and uh, thought about the different things that I had written in this message and the different things that I would say. Uh, I'm recording this now. Afterwards, I'm, my youngest grandson is going to have his closing preschool program here today. Uh, I've got an appointment at 2 o'clock this afternoon. I'm going to visit with my daughter uh, a little bit today. And, uh, you know, I just need in all of those things that I know I'm going to do and the things that I don't know that I'm going to do, I need to remember foundationally that this day is a gift from God and I need to rejoice and be glad in it. That needs to be reflected in everything that I do. And it's the same with you. And when we do that, we're, we're building this, this God is good, God is in control mindset. And so number one, treat each day as a gift from God. Here's the second thing. And I, I love this one. Be bold when you pray. Since God is in control, be bold when you pray. You move on through our text and you get to Psalm 118 and verse 25. It's a very brief verse, but it says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. I love the boldness of the psalmist when he writes, Oh Lord, grant us success. And so I'm going to pause. I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to answer it. I mean, you can answer it out loud wherever you are if you want, or you can just answer it in the quietness of your heart. Or you can write it down somewhere if you're taking notes. I want to ask you this question. What's one area of your life right now where you need to experience success? Maybe where you desperately need to experience success could be something related to your family, could be something related to your job, to your finances, to a ministry that you might be involved in, to a relationship that you have, and on and on and on. Well, having identified that biggest need, here's the next question. What is keeping you from praying, oh Lord, grant me success in this area of my life, whatever your greatest need is? 
Oh Lord, grant me success in this area of my life. Now, you know, the Bible teaches us that prayer is not like some kind of a blank check from God, and we need to be mindful and thoughtful about how we pray. We need to pray for things, for example, the Bible says, according to the will of God. We need to pray with the right motives. We need to pray with uh, pure hearts and pure lives, and you can go on and on and on. The Bible gives us lots of guidelines related to answered prayer. But at the same time, we need to be bold in our prayers if we genuinely believe and trust that God is in control, that belief and trust should be mirrored in the way we pray. In fact, if you answered the question, what's one area of your life right now where you need to experience success? I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to pause. I'm going to challenge you to bow your head wherever you are right now and in the quietness of the moment, I want you to pray that God would bring you success in that one area of your life that you've identified. I'm going to pause. I'm going to bow. I'm going to pray the same prayer. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing, and then I'm going to pick it up here in just a moment. So bow with me and pray that prayer. All right, all right. I, I hope that you took advantage of that moment. I, I, I don't mind telling you that, that the thing that I prayed for success in, in my life was in my leadership and the ministry of our church. You know, I just prayed that God would grant us success as a church because we're in such a strange place right now because of things that are out of our, out of our control. And I prayed that God would grant us success as we continue to kind of slowly but surely move back to ministry, coming back together, and then learning from all of this and adapting to all of this for what ministry can look like in the future. I just pray that he would grant us success so that we can continue to be a significant force, spiritual force in this community and around the world so that we could honor him that way. I, I hope that you took advantage of that opportunity to pray. Uh, we need to be bold in our prayers. If we believe and trust that God is in control and that God is good, then we need to be bold in our prayers. Here's the third thing and the final thing. We need to embrace hope. We need to embrace hope. Uh, I'm gonna skip over verse 26 in our text. I'm gonna go to the very first part of verse 27, Psalm 118, verse 27. And the first part of the verse says, the Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. What do you think the word light means there? Well, there probably, honestly, there are multiple ways to answer that question because the word light is used in multiple ways in the Bible. When I was a little boy going to church camp, the very first Bible verse that I ever memorized in my life was Psalm 119, verse 105. I memorized it in the King James Version of the Bible because this was a long time ago. And that verse was, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet 
and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105 <clears throat> from the King James Bible, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what that text says. And so uh, you could say that the word light refers to God's word uh, because it can be a light for us as we walk down uh, the pathway of life. But I think the word light can also refer to hope. And here's why I say that. Psalm 27, verse 1, and by the way, whatever answer you have to what you think light means, there's probably not a wrong answer. Well, there's probably a, a wrong answer, but it has to be a really stupid answer. <laughs> but there's probably, whatever you come up with from a spiritual perspective is probably not wrong. But in Psalm 27, 1, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then it asks this question, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I think you can make the application that the word light means hope there. The Lord is my hope and my salvation. So whom shall I fear? And friends, there's great hope in knowing that not only is God with you, but he wants to bring good things into your life. He wants to bring blessing. He wants to bring protection. He wants to bring, bring growth and learning and stretching and influence and on and on and on. There's great hope in knowing that God wants to bring hope into your life. There's great hope in knowing that you don't have to fear anyone or anything because God is on your side. And so embracing hope will help you look beyond your problems, beyond your fears, beyond your enemies, or whatever else you can think of that might be surrounding you at times, making you think that life is hard. Look beyond them to a God who loves you and is in control of all things. Listen, friends. Life is hard, but it's also good because God is good. In fact, I want you to say that with me wherever you are out loud. Here it is. Life is hard, but it's also good because God is good. One more time. Life is hard, but it's also good because God is good. And because of that, we can find peace in the presence of God no matter what's happening around us. I hope each and every day of your life, you are reminded in some way that the goodness of God is running after you. I want you to pray with me. Thank you so much, Lord, for the chance to spend some time together uh, bringing this peace in his presence study to a conclusion, this study from Psalm 118. And I pray um, that something that has been said, I certainly know that I'm, I'm a weak and feeble spokesman, but you are not, and your spirit, the spirit of truth is not. And I pray something that from you and from the, the Holy Spirit will resonate with our hearts in a way that reminds us uh, that we need to trust you because you're in control and because fundamentally, and here's something that will never change, you are good. Thank you that your goodness is running after us every day of our lives. Help us, help us to be blessed by that. We love and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.